Well, good morning. Uh, yeah, it's good to be back. I doubt anybody in here has even seen that movie. I hadn't heard of it until I was just looking for something that related to this morning's subject matter. Uh, it's 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 a, a true historical uh, encounter between uh, a guy who's known as the Reluctant King. Uh, shortly before World War II began, uh, the King of England passed away, and the successor to the throne decided he would rather get married than be king, and so it fell to his younger brother, George, who became known as George VI. And as you could see in the film, he had a stuttering problem, and so he comes over to try to encourage America to join the what will be soon the war effort against Germany. And so you have this unique situation where you've got one guy who can't speak, who's called to lead England, and one guy who can't walk, who's called to lead America. And it's kind of an odd, interesting sort of situation, if you will, and they have that moment there where uh, Roosevelt is encouraging uh, the new king to say, listen, it's, you don't need to let your handi- handicap hold you back. Uh, people aren't looking at your handicap, they're looking at you to lead them, and so you need to step up and take on this mantle of leadership. And this was sort of coming to my mind as I was on vacation and watching Pastor Chris and Pastor Alex speak the past couple weeks on their messages, and something that Pastor Chris had said about intentionally stepping into somebody's story so you can be a part of their change story. Uh, I was kind of thinking about that, and then when Pastor Alex was talking about how sometimes we focus on things uh, that we magnify, and as, as I was putting that, those kind of things together, I was thinking about why is it that a lot of people are... I love you. I'll put myself this. Why is it that I don't sometimes step into somebody's life to be a part of their change story? What is it that holds me back? And I started thinking about it. Sometimes I'm focusing on things that make me feel like I can't lead, uh, that make me feel like I'm inadequate as a leader or not capable as a leader. And so what rises to the surface is all of my insecurities. Now, if you feel insecure, just know that you're not alone. Everybody deals with insecurity. At the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were naked and unafraid, and everything was wonderful. Sin enters in humanity. And what does Adam and Eve do right after sin enters in? They cover themselves, and then they hide. That's inadequacy. Uh, That's feeling insecurity. Uh, Insecure about myself. I I don't measure up. I need to hide who I really am. I I need to cover up who I really am. And it's something all of humanity does. Like, we, we have this idea that there are some people out there who have such confidence and such uh, just boldness in life that clearly they're not insecure. But then when you talk to people, you realize everybody's insecure. Models are insecure about how they look, and professors are insecure about what they know or don't know, and even people who have lots and lots of money are insecure about uh, the prospect of someday losing all of their money, and they feel like they always have to have more. There's just never enough. We all have this sense of insecurity. And when we focus in on insecurities, it makes us feel like as if we're not capable of leading or doing anything that God might call us to do. Uh, It's part of the reason why we love stories about people who overcome their insecurities, like a fish with a bad fin who can swim and do something, or a fighter from the streets of Philadelphia who's nothing but a street bum who somehow makes it big. We, We love those kind of stories of people who overcome some sense of inadequacy or the racehorses, whether it be the one about the zebra or the smaller horse Seabiscuit who somehow comes in and wins the day, and whether it's fictional or real. We love stories of people who can overcome an insecurity because it's something we long to do, but sometimes we wonder if we ever really can. Uh, And insecurity is this uneasy, unsettled, fearful awareness that there is a gap between what I'm called to do and what I feel like I'm capable of doing. 
Uh, I talked about this several years back in a message on the End of the Wood series about how there's this gap that exists and what do you do with this gap of insecurity. And alongside that, when it comes to leadership, there's a long-running debate in leadership circles as, as to whether leaders are born or made. Like, you look at some people who are leaders, and you think to yourselves, man, there's something just intrinsic about that person that makes them a leader. Like, you, there are, you know, there's people who people just are gravitate to. That's one of the things I, I love about Pastor Micah, is people are just drawn to him. Youth just meet him for the first time, and they're like, I gotta meet this guy, I gotta get to know this guy. And, and you sort of like think, you know, maybe, may, maybe they're born with it. Or maybe it's Maybelline, I don't know. <laughs> See, I, that joke went over in the first service, too. And I can't tell you how refreshing it is. <laughs> Here's why. Last week, I was a camp pastor at the camp I grew up at. And I'm like scouring through my notes trying to remove every pop cultural, what I think is a pop cultural reference to commercials, movies, videos, anything. Because when everybody in the room was born after 2005, I got nothing. I, I just, I, I, <laughs> I don't know Snapchat. I don't know any of it. I don't even know what song is popular. I, you really feel really old when you're talking to 12, 13, 10-year-olds, right? You, you feel really, really old. So... I'm cool with that, and if some of you youngins don't know what that reference was, I don't care. Um, so, so the question is, are we, are we just born with something intrinsically that makes you a leader, or do you learn? Uh, others would say, well, leadership can be learned. That's if you go to conferences and read books and, and get mentorship, and the more experience you have with it, the better at leadership you'll become. And so the two sides go back and forth. Uh, sort of like the nature versus nurture type of argument. Are you born or is it, are you made into a leader over time? And I, in thinking about it, I, I come out on the born side simply because we're all born to lead. The Great Commission was given to everybody. We are all placed in leadership roles. We all have the opportunity and the calling to step into somebody's story, as Pastor Chris was talking about a couple weeks ago, to step into somebody's story to be a part of their change story. Uh, God puts us in roles continually. Uh, the family unit is, is leadership. Uh, there is spiritual leadership and parental leadership. Uh, there is leadership any place that you work. There's an element of leadership that leaders are always leading leaders. There, are, there is nobody who is just simply at the bottom of the rung. I mean, even the person who's at the bottom of the rung uh, in a corporation has the opportunity to lead. We, that's why we have books called The 360 Leader and Leading from the Bottom and Second Chair. Everybody has an opportunity and a calling to lead. When Jesus looks to his disciples, he says, go into all the world and teach them everything that I have commanded you. Uh, and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is that but, but not leadership? That we are all called to lead. So we are all born with the, call, with, the, with the opportunity and the gift of leadership. Now, whether or not we do it is up to you. And I think one of the big things that keeps us from leading is this idea, well, maybe some people are just born as leaders and I wasn't born. Or maybe some people have just really learned a lot of stuff and I haven't learned. And so we have these ideas that I'm not qualified or capable of doing it. And that's where our insecurities come in. And the reality is we all have the insecurity. We all have an opportunity to give an excuse for why we can't lead. And so what I want to talk about this morning is just, I want to go through and just look at just three examples of people in the Bible who were called to lead, as everybody is called to lead, who had issues with insecurity. Now, I could go on and on and on because everybody deals with insecurity. So everybody who's called to leadership struggles with insecurity. And I'm limiting the list to three because I felt that was the only amount that I could cover in one message in 30 minutes or less. And I'm not even sure I can do it in 30 minutes or less. I did it successfully once. I'm gonna see if I can do it again 
this morning. So the first one I want to look at, of course, is Moses. When God calls Moses, Moses' background situation, if there's anybody who should be made into a leader, it was Moses. Uh, Moses was not born into a leadership family, but ends up getting the opportunity to grow up in a leadership family. So he's born as a part of a, a slave people of the Hebrews who were in captivity in Egypt, uh, or as slaves in Egypt, and he ends up being able to grow up as though he was one of Pharaoh's own children, and everybody thinks he's one of Pharaoh's own children, so he is groomed to become a prince of Egypt, if you remember the cartoon from many years ago. He is literally groomed to be a prince, to be a ruler, to be a king someday. Who knows, but that your older brother may abdicate the throne and put you in a situation, just like King George VI was put into that situation. That's what Moses was being groomed for, and along the way, he has this sense, this calling, that his people are being oppressed by the Egyptian nation, and so he wants to help them and wants to be a part of what maybe God is doing to, to, re, to pull his people out of this situation. And so along the way, he ends up defending a Hebrew slave and kills an Egyptian. And the result of that is he kind of freaks out a little bit, and he runs out of town, uh, out into the wilderness, and abdicates his right and opportunity to the throne. And so he ends up way out in the wilderness and spends the next 40 years out there. And along the way, this is where uh, he's out tending a sheep one day, and he comes across the burning bush. Have you ever heard about Moses and the burning bush? This is what it happens. Forty years after, he's killed an Egyptian and run out of town. And so clearly somebody who's thinking, whatever opportunity I had for leadership is long gone. I blew it. I made a mistake, and there's just no way I can do it. And so God at the burning bush, with the whole conversation is all about God coming to Moses and saying, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. Wow. The very thing that Moses, from earliest of time, felt that as if that was his role, opportunity that God was calling him to do, and took one stab at it and failed at it, now God is actually coming to him from a burning bush and saying, yes, this is what I want you to do. And here's Moses' response in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. He says, <clears throat> pardon your servant, Lord. Uh, sort of like, slow down, God, slow down. Just, I, just, just, can, can we just, can I just interrupt here for just one second? You're wanting me to go and talk to Pharaoh and, you know, let people go and you see in the movies, you know, this boldness of Charlton Heston and Moses is like, I can't, I can't do it as well as the guy acting as me does it. I can't, I can't boldly go in and do that. And so he says, I've never been eloquent, not in the past and not now. I'm slow of speech in tongue. If you will, very similar to King George VI. And he's sitting there talking with Roosevelt saying, I've got to lead these people and I, I can't do this. It's the same conversation that, that instead of having it with Roosevelt, he's having it with God. And then he goes on and then he, he simply says, uh, send somebody else. So often when we're faced with a task and even have a sense of calling that God is calling us to speak into somebody's life or to lead, we always want to say, send somebody else. On the Sundays where we offer opportunities to lead here within the church, there's always this idea in the back of your mind that says, send somebody else. I'm not qualified. I can't do it. I've never been good in front of people. I can't get up and do that. I can't go out and shake hands. I, I, I can't. Somebody else is probably far more qualified to do it than I am. Every one of us feels that way, and that's your insecurity talking. And everybody has those insecurities. Everybody says, there's a gap between what God's called me to and what I can do. I can't speak. I can't do this in here. Find somebody else to do it somewhere along the way. Now, uh, God's response as he comes back to him, is, is just absolutely epic. Now, sometimes we, we personify God, if you will, like we, we sort of like project what we would be doing if we were in that situation, how I would respond if I were God. And so I read the Bible sort of with that in mind. And it says, the Lord said to him, and I just picture God going, gotta calm down. 
Because what's just happened? The God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the maker of all things, has just been told he was wrong. <laughs> right? God, you got it wrong. I'm not your guy. Okay? And I just, just think about the humility it must take for God to even engage in the conversation and not just wipe us off the face of the earth when, when those things happen, right? And I just picture if, if it were God personified, he'd be like, like, calm down. Moses, who gave human beings a mouth? This is God speaking. Who makes them either deaf or mute? Who gives people sight? Who gives people sight or makes them blind? Is it not, oh, I don't know, me? <laughs> now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. This is the classic, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's just like, who are you to tell me you can't? Like, I know who you are. I know how I made you. Now, I don't know what book it was I read. I think it was a Donald Miller book. It was talking about how when babies look in the mirror for the first time, they smile and they laugh for probably the last time ever. <laughs> like, when was the last time you looked in the mirror and went, all right. It just doesn't happen. It, it, I mean, you, you might laugh if you have a really good sense of humor. I'm talking at yourself, not somebody else. I don't know of anybody past baby age who looks in the mirror and likes what they see. Just let that sink in a minute. God made you the way he wanted you, and he loves you the way that you are. You're the one who looks in the mirror and says, he messed up. There's a design flaw. I should look like something else. And we have these ideas, if I looked like that, then I would be better suited. If I was as strong as him, then I could do it. If I could, if I could just have the eloquence of the words like she does, if I had the care and the compassion and the attention and the creativity the artistic ability, then I could do something like that, but I don't. And, and I, I hear what you're saying about this, this opportunity to lead, whether it be at home or at work or at school uh, or with my friends. I, I, I hear that you, know, you think that we're called to lead, but I'm just not able to. God messed up when he made me. You have to think about that for a second. Moses is looking at God, God saying, I want you to do this, and Moses says, you messed up because I can't do what you're calling me to do. And Moses sees the gap. But here's the thing, God sees the gap too. He says, I know, I know there's a gap there. He says, I will help you with this gap. I, I will teach you what to say with this gap. Uh, and years ago when I talked about this gap, this insecurity gap, this is a situation where what God's called you to do, what you're able to do is a gap, and when we trust God, uh, God gets glory in that moment, and we get blessed because of it. We get the opportunity to, to be blessed by just being a part of what God's doing. Like a couple weeks ago when Pastor Chris was talking about being a part of somebody's change story, that's a blessing. It's a blessing to be a part of somebody's change story. On top of that, uh, when, you, when you abdicate that opportunity, you miss out on the blessing of what God wants to do. And, and when you trust God in that, it's what, what Paul says. Paul says, uh, 
Three times I ask God, this is over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about this issue, this gap, this insecurity he has, and says three times I ask God to take away this, this issue that I was having that, was, that I felt was preventing me from being able to serve God the way that he wanted me to, and so three times I said, God, take it from me, take it from me, take it from me. Uh, we don't know what it is. Some people think it was a physical handicap. Uh, I come out on the side, I think it was probably some addictive issue that he had, uh, because it says it was a messenger from Satan, so I, I tend to think it was maybe some sort of addictive issue where he continued to struggle with it, but he says, God refused to take this away from me. You ever just prayed, God, take away this desire? Couldn't you be far more effective if you just didn't have that desire? And I just see that play out in so many people's life. And it could be that, or it could, and he doesn't tell us what it is, or it could be a handicap, I don't know. And he says, and God wouldn't take it away from me. He didn't take away my calling. He left me with my handicap or my issue but he didn't take away my calling. And he says, what I realize is, is in this gap right here, people will see that there's a gap, and they'll know God's working through me. That way, God gets the glory in this gap in the middle because they say, clearly God's working through him. That's why he says, in my weakness, it's the opportunity for your strength to be revealed in what, in what people see and what I'm able to do. And so Moses here saying, God, I, I don't think I, I can do it. And God's saying, no, you can. I've created this. Now, God does some amazing things with this weaknesses. Sometimes what happens is because you've trusted God in this area, people see God clearly through it. Other times what happens with these weaknesses is the very reason why God's called you is because you have a weakness that's going to prevent you from doing it the way everybody else would. Let me say that again. The very reason why God called you is because you are not capable of doing it the way everybody else would. Because of your handicap, your limitation, you would do it differently because you're just not capable of doing it any other way. I've always identified with Moses' conversation with God for a couple reasons. One, the first time I heard it, I remember I was in youth group, youth pastor talked about this, and I sat there and I thought to myself, you know, that's what I don't like about God. He always goes and he, he calls you to do something that you don't want to do. And the bad thing about following him is eventually he's going to tell you to do something you don't want to do, right? And, and I, I struggled with that. Like he's going to tell you to go to Africa or he's going to, whatever, I don't know where he's going to tell you to go, where he's going to send you to go someplace, you know, that, you know, like I don't want to go there. So for some of you, he's going to send you to Virginia Beach. That's why you're here. And you're like, that's why I didn't want to do this. And so I always kind of struggled with that. Like I knew at some point God was going to do this to me. And of course he did. And the other thing I identify with Moses is I actually have a stuttering problem. And some of you are like, what? I never heard you stutter. That's because I've gotten very good over the years of correcting myself. And what happens is I, I use the Porky the Pig method of stutter correction. If you ever watch Porky the Pig, which I think they took him away because it's too culturally insensitive or something with, you know, towards people with stuttering problems. But that's actually how I learned to not stutter was Porky the Pig. He would say, I need to go to the restroom. See what he does? He realizes he can't say bathroom, and so he switches to the word restroom. And if you pay attention when I speak, I will have these interesting pauses as I talk. Those pauses are because my mouth cannot say the word I'm trying to say, and so I will catch myself really quick and say something else. But if you really listen, usually once or twice per morning, I will have a half stutter in there, like right there, like that pause right there, that was a stutter that I corrected from happening because I wanted to and I didn't. The second issue I had with my calling in ministry was I'm dyslexic. I have a really hard time reading. And so I'm looking at God going, how can I get up and speak when I can't speak, and furthermore, I can't study to have anything worthwhile to say? <laughs> These are legit issues. And here's what ends up happening. Like, people ask me all the time, 
what version of the Bible are you reading from? Because I want to follow along. And they'll think that I'm reading from like maybe the NIV, and they're reading from the NIV, but then as I'm reading it, it's a different translation. The reason is because I'm not capable of reading word for word from anything in my notes, period. And here's what this has done. Number one, it makes it so I have to preach without reading my notes. You ever notice that? And actually, I think it's probably a more engaging talk most of the time when I'm not doing this the whole morning because I cannot physically do this looking at my notes. The second thing is, I'm not capable of reading long passages of Scripture. And if you grew up in church, there's a benefit there. Because it doesn't make for the most interesting presentation or sermon when the pastor gets up and reads a long passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, a lot of people tune out. So what it's forced me to do is to sort of paraphrase and summarize all of the relevant details and then just read the passage that you really need to cue in on. Or cue in? Keen in on? Focus in on? Focus in on, yes. Uh, <laughs> that you really need to focus in on for that morning. And it actually has made for a, I, I think, a much more engaging uh, presentation of Scripture. So what you're seeing here is the very thing that I looked at God and said, God, this isn't going to work because I can't do it the way I see other pastors do it. God's saying, that's okay. I don't want you to do it the way other pastors are doing it. I'm calling you to preach because I want you to do it the way that you would do it. And so often, maybe when you step into a role that somebody else has fulfilled and they've done an amazing job at it, and you think to yourself, I could never be in your name. I could never live up to that. That's not your calling. You're not calling is, your calling is not to be the second one of, those, of, of that person or that type. It could be that the very weakness you have is going to be the very thing that God uses in a transformative way in your industry or in, in what you're doing. There are so many products that you have on the market right now that were mistakes. Pachata chips were a mistake. Stainless steel was a mistake. Plastic was a mistake. They weren't intending to make these things. But these things that they thought were mistakes were revolutionary. Newsflash. You think you're a mistake. And God's saying, no, you're revolutionary. And you're perfectly suited for what I'm calling you to do. I'm just not calling you to do it the way they did it. And if you can't do it the way they did it, there's probably a very good reason for it. I'm calling you just the way you're made, you're perfect for what I'm calling you to do and for what I want to do through you. So Moses, I know how I made you. I know what I'm going to, go through, going to do through you. Don't tell me what you can't do if I'm telling you to do it. Now go. Second story I want to share with you is that of Esther. And Esther's a unique situation. Uh, a little bit of the background on Esther's uh, story, if it's, it's told to us in the book of Esther. Uh, this is during a time where the Persians were the dominant global force, including uh, being ruler over the area that incorporates Israel and all of the Hebrew people. And Xerxes gets frustrated with his wife, the queen, and so he removes her and goes on a nationwide search, uh, the very first edition of uh, the Bachelor of Persia, Persia, and he gets all of the available women to come to the palace, sort of like the Cinderella type story, and sure enough, Esther is the one he chooses as his queen. A little while later, his prime minister, one of his chief officials, has an issue with the Hebrew people and decides he needs to exterminate all of the Jews. And so he works this plan through manipulation to get a law passed which will effectively wipe out the Jewish people. Uh, one of the leaders of the Jewish people is a guy named Mordecai, who happens to be the uncle of Esther. So you can see his gears working. Okay, we're faced with this. I need to get a message to the queen. So if anybody could stop this, she can stop it. And so he sends her a message and says, you've got to do something. 
And she responds back over in Esther chapter 4 with this. She says, listen, all of the king's officials and people of the royal provinces know that if any man or woman tries to approach the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law and one bit of track record. That person gets put to death unless the king extends out his golden scepter and spares their life. And it's been over a month since I've even seen the king. What her issue was, what her insecurity came from, I don't have the position or the relationship to do what you think I need to do. Like, you're telling me that I, I, I need to be a leader at work. I haven't been there long enough. I don't have the seniority for that. I don't have the relationships for that. Uh, you're, you're telling me that I need to be able to talk to somebody where I, I work at a school. It's against the law there. I, can't, I get in trouble if I, if I do that. It's not allowed for me to do it there. I, I'll be break, breaking rules if, if I do that there. I, I'm not the spiritual head of the home. It's not my role. It's not my responsibility. I can't do it. We have all these reasons of, uh, of responsibility or relationship where I don't have the power or authority to do uh, anything in the realm of leadership. And that's where Esther's at. I don't have the authority to do this. Uh, and you might think just because I'm the queen, it might look from the outside in that I have the opportunity to do this, but you have to understand, I don't. It, it actually would be against protocol to do this. Uh, I'm risking my life to do this, and as a matter of fact, I'm not in a great relationship right now with the king. He hasn't wanted to even see me in the past month, so i.e., find somebody else to do this leadership. And she's struggling with an insecurity because her excuse is, I don't have the positional authority. I don't have the relational uh, ability to do what it is that you're calling me to do. And so, uh, they continue on, and Mordecai sends word back to her, and he says, okay, first of all, don't think that just because you live in the palace, you're going to escape the decree that comes out. When it's found out that you also are a Hebrew, they're going to come for you too. And he says, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and me and the rest of our family is going to die. In other words, in the long term, God's going to find somebody else if you don't. And that is a truism if there ever was. You will not thwart God's plan simply because you refuse to lead. You won't. What will happen is God will eventually use somebody else. It's not going to go well for you. And in the short term, it's going to be a big mess. But God's ultimately going to do what God's going to do. He's going to fill that gap. So he's going to find somebody else who will step into that gap, who will give him glory, and will want to receive that blessing. And if you don't do it, somebody else will. And so, for instance, maybe you're called uh, to be a blessing to somebody and to use your finances to give. And so God says, if you give, I'll just continue to get bless you and give, and they'll be blessed through you, and they'll say, oh, wow, well, look at what God did, and because I blessed you, and you'll be a conduit of my blessing to other people. But if you decide, no, 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 I don't think I have enough, okay. You will never have enough. And I'll find somebody else who I can continue to bless and, and accomplish this through. You don't want to speak into somebody's life? Okay, you'll miss out, and I'll find somebody else to do it. Uh, I remember this happened with me years ago. There's a guy named Toby who I met on the golf course, and we would play golf. This is right after I'd finished college or seminary. I think it was right after I finished seminary. I wasn't a pastor yet, and I just needed to take a summer off. And so I spent that summer playing a lot of golf, and I met this guy named Toby. And I was going to be moving uh, into the week, and so this would be the last time I played golf with Toby. And all summer long, I just had this sense. I mean, I knew he didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and I knew he did. And all summer long, I'd just been having this sense that, you know, I need to tell, G tell, tell Toby about Jesus. I need to, like, speak. And I felt like God, just like Pastor Chris was saying, was telling me to, to join his story, to be a part of his change story. And I wouldn't do it. And I kept on thinking, at some point, if God really wants us, he's going to open the door, right? 
there's going to be this day where his golf game's bad, and he looks at me, he's like, man, nothing's going right in my life. What can I do? My golf game's bad. My life is bad. I'm wondering. I kind of feel lost. Is there a God? Glad you asked, right? We, we, we think that if God wants this to happen, he's going to open the door, right? He's Mordecai, if God wants me to go in and talk to the king, he'd call for me. But he ain't calling for me. So what do you want me to do? And so I remember that summer went on and the door never opened. And I remember having this sense, I was like, well, we're going to play golf tomorrow. And it'll be, our last t- it'll be the last time I see him. This is, you know, cell phones were kind of new. Uh, I think I had a pager back then. Remember pagers? That's how old school this was, right? Uh, I think I had a pager, not a cell phone at this point. And, you know, it was and there was no social media, like, Back then, like when you said goodbye to somebody, it was pretty much bye. You probably weren't ever going to see them again, right? And that's the way this was. And so I had the sense, like, if I'm ever going to tell this guy about Jesus, it's going to be today. And I'm like, all right, God, this is your last chance <laughs> to open a door, right? And I still have the sense, yeah, but you've got to do it. So here it is, you know, first hole, nothing. Second hole, nothing. And the way that golf works is, like, there's a countdown happening, right? You've got 18 holes to do this. And every time you play a hole, you've got 17, 16, 15. It's going down, right? Well, sure enough, we get to the last hole of the day, 18th hole, and no door has opened. And it's one of those moments like, are you going to do this or are you not? I was like, all right, fine. I would love to tell you that it went beautifully. I would love to tell you that I spoke with great eloquence. I said just the right thing at the right time and spoke to his heart, powered by the Holy Spirit, that God really led me and spoke through me like he promised to do with Moses. It was awkward. It was as awkward as you would imagine telling somebody about Jesus would be awkward, right? Like we weren't that kind of friends kind of thing. And it was sort of like, well, all right. Uh, it was good playing golf. It was good to meet you this summer, but bye. And that's, that's literally the way things ended on the 18th hole, right? Didn't hear from him again. Didn't see him again. A year or so later, uh, I had a phone at that point. Now cell phones have kind of come out. Somehow he got my phone number calls me up and he says, I was just driving home the other day, flipping through the radio station, and on the, just on the speed thing, it just hit a Christian radio station, and all I heard was this girl quote the verse you quoted to me on the 18th hole. This is a true story. He says, I pulled over the car and finished listening to what she said, and I ended up giving my life to Christ right there on the side of the road because of what you said to me that day we played golf. Wow. I don't have the relational capital to do this. I don't have the position to do this. You haven't opened the door for this. Now, I don't know how many times that's happened in your life or in my life where the person didn't track you down. But when you step into that moment, it will happen. Whether you know about it, this side of eternity, or not. And Esther's in this situation. She's like, I don't think I can. And Mordecai's like, if you don't do it, God will, God's going to reach Toby somehow, some way, and it'll be through somebody else, if not through you. But what a blessing it's been to have been a part of that, and then to see him reach out to his brother, who is even more lost than he is, and just continue to, to work in his life. I actually had the opportunity to paint a bunch of houses two years later because we kept in contact and continued to disciple him and pour into him as he was doing that into his brother. Then he got in this great opportunity to uh, get really involved in his church. It's just amazing, this whole story of what happened just from that one day. And so Mordecai ends off his plea to, to Esther, and he says, you know, if you don't do it, 
God will do it through somebody else. It'll rise from uh, somewhere else. Your fa- you and your father's family, which is going to be me too, is going to perish. He says, but you know, who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? You don't think you have the position, but everybody else is looking at you thinking, you're the only one who does. Do you see that? She's thinking, I'm just the queen. What can I do? And he's thinking, you're the queen. Come on. Who else can do it? I've said to you military folks before, I can't go to your base. They won't let me in. They turn me away. You just show a card and they salute you or wave hi to you or you salute them. I don't know how it works. You just get to walk right in. I don't know. I don't have the opportunity. You're there. You can. Don't ever think that your position or your relational authority disqualifies you from leading. Uh, last story that kind of spoke to me was uh, the story of Peter. Of all the stories I talk about how much I love, all the stories in the Bible, this really is my true favorite story. I say that a lot. This really is my favorite story. And if you read in John chapter 21, this is the end of the story. Uh, Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. Uh, John chapter 21 is the last chapter that John writes. And it starts off with this. It says the disciples were there. And uh, Peter says, I'm going out to fish. Now, if you don't know anything about Peter's story, you're like, okay, thank you for sharing that. Let's move on. Kind of like you, you, you ever scroll through social media and you're like, why do I need to see what you ate for dinner tonight? I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those social media posts, right? Why do I need to know you went fishing today? That's great. Hope you had a good time. I'm working. <laughs> but here's some backstory on this, right? Some backstory. I, I, I read social media just like you do. So here's some backstory, though. Uh, at the Last Supper, when all the disciples are there gathered on one side of the table, and they're having the Last Supper with Jesus, uh, Jesus says to them, you know, tonight uh, I'm going to be arrested, and all of you all are going to uh, scatter. <coughs> and Peter stands up, and he says, not me. You know, they'll take you over my dead body. And Jesus looks back at him, and he says, you know, before the alarm clock goes off tomorrow, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And he's looking at him like, I don't think so. And sure enough, Jesus gets arrested. First of all, Peter's having a hard time even staying awake that night. And then, you know, the, all the commotion comes in. Peter makes his attempt, and he swings his knife, sword, whatever it is, and he chops off a guy's ear, completely misses, and it's a total mess of the situation. And Peter's still wanting to do something, so he follows Jesus after he gets arrested, and he ends up in there in the uh, high priest's house trying to see what's going on. And sure enough, people's like, hey, aren't you one of them? And he freaks out, and he denies no, I don't, I, never, I don't even know him. I'm just, just here checking things out. And eventually, this, like, even this little girl asks him, you know, aren't you one of those guys? And he's scared even of a little girl. And so he runs out, and sure enough, three times he, he denies that he has any relationship or involvement in it. He goes from like over my dead body to running out of there, fearing for his life. And then, of course, he, he's not there at the crucifixion. John's there, Peter's not. And so Jesus dies on the cross. You can imagine how he feels in this moment. And then... It says he's one of the two people. John says he's one of the two, you know, John and Peter ran to the tomb. Now, John wants to let you know that he outran Peter, so Peter got there just not as fast. And John feels like you need to know. And they're there, and they see the empty tomb. And you kind of pause from like, what would it be like to be there and see the empty tomb? I think for John's experience, it was very different than for Peter's experience. John was there holding his mother while Jesus dies on the cross, and Peter, or Jesus looks down to John, he says, hey, you know, mom, let him take my place as the son. And John, you know, you treat her like, like she's your mom. And, and 
And so John's right there, faithful to the very end, and is standing right by Jesus as he dies, and right there to take care of things. And so when John's there at the, at the tomb, he sees it, you know, the, the tomb's empty, and I, I think he had a, had a moment there. What do you think it was like for Peter, though? His last time was when Jesus makes eye contact with him right after he's denied he even knows him. And he runs out in shame. This is not a good comparison, but in one sense, it's sort of like that guy who's like, man, I could have bought Amazon at a dollar. I was going to do it, and I just, I don't know, man. I should have done it, man. Now this thing's blowing up. Like, Peter was the guy, right? He was the guy. He was, he was in on the ground floor of this whole thing. And he bailed. When he thought there was no hope for this, and, and there was, this wasn't going to work, and then all of a sudden he sees, wow, this thing's blowing up. I could have been a part of this. And I missed my shot. Oh well. John chapter 21. He goes out to fish. Next thing I need to tell you about. Go back to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, Jesus wanted to speak to a crowd on the water's edge. And the crowd's kind of coming in. And so to be able to speak to them better, he asks Peter if he can borrow his fishing boat. And says, hey, can I use your fishing boat to, to speak? Because if I get out here in the water, people won't come out here. And then I can speak. And people won't crowd in. And voice reflects really good off the water. And can I just use your boat for a little bit? And so he lets him use it. And after he's done giving his message, the people begin to leave. And he says to Peter, he says, hey, guys, just you know, I want to be able to thank you for letting me use the boat. Um, why don't we go out fishing together? I'm really good at this. And so they're like, come on, man. You know, we, we're not going to catch anything. He's like, come on, let's get in the boat, humor me. They get in the boat, they go out a little ways, they put the net over. Because Jesus is Jesus, I guess he commands the fish in the water to jump into the net, and they all gladly do. And they catch more fish than they've ever caught. They can't even bring the fish in. And it's at that moment in Luke chapter 5 that Peter is there with Jesus on his boat, and he sees, he recognizes in this moment who Jesus is. He's not just a rabbi, he's not just a teacher. Who else has the ability to command fish? who don't want to be anywhere near a net at this time of day, to all the fish in the vicinity come running into the net within moments, who else but God could do something like that? He's realizing this is God standing on his boat. And he says this in John chapter 5. He says, um, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. He's recognizing he's in the presence of God, and he's like, I don't deserve to be in your presence. My sin disqualifies me from even being in the same boat. You need to go somewhere else, find somebody else. Jesus says to him, uh, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Or sometimes you'll be a fisher of men. Peter, I, I see you for who you are. Your sin is forgiven. I'm going to use you to do amazing things. You think this catch of fish was amazing. Wait till you begin to catch people. You're going to be a fisher of men. Let's fast forward now. I'm with you to the end, Jesus. He denies Jesus. He runs out. He sees Jesus look at him. The conviction sets in. He blew his chance. That resurrection, man, that was cool. I just missed my shot. I didn't, I didn't buy the, the stock when I could have. I didn't get on the ground floor. I missed my chance. I blew it. I messed up. I got fired. I'll go back to fish. Or fish. See the weight of that now? Move back and fish. And as John 21 plays out, I don't catch anything. Some strange guy on the beach says, hey guys, caught anything? No. Throw your net out inside of the boat. Sure enough, all the fish in the sea are commanded to jump in. 
and they got so much fish they can't pull it back in and instantly Peter knows who that voice on the beach was. And he jumps out of the boat, runs into the shore, and Jesus then says to him, Peter, do you agape me? He says back, Lord, you know I phileo you. He's using the different words for love. Like, do you, do you sacrificially love me with all your being? Like when you stood up at the Last Supper and said, you know, I will die for you. Do you love me like that? And Peter's like, clearly I don't. I'm just a friend for the good times. If you want to go to a ball game, call me up. You, you want to move a piano, call somebody else. I phileo you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. In other words, I still want you to lead this, is what he's saying. Now, Peter, do you agape me? And he says back, no, you know I phileo you. He says a second time, I still want you to lead this. Feed my sheep. So a third time, Jesus says, okay, all right, I'll meet you where you're at. Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus changed from agape to phileo. And so he says, yep, that's where I'm at. He says, yeah, I can use you where you're at. I'm still calling you to lead this thing. And then he says, you know, there's going to be a day where you, once, you eventually will agape me the way I've agaped you. Eventually, you're going to end up dying on a cross right beside me. Now, you may think that you missed your chance to die alongside of me, because how cool would the story have been for Peter? Like, like, I could have been there on the cross with him. I could have been crucified right next to him, buried in the same tomb. Then the two of us would have walked out together. Wow. That wasn't the story, though, was it? He's back, Lord, away from me. I am a sinful man. That's what's going on in this moment. And Jesus is saying, no, I still want you to be a fisher of men. I still want you to lead this thing. So you may think, because of your sin, because of your mistakes, because you missed your shot, your moment's passed. God can't use me anymore. He'll find somebody else. John 21 is all about Peter thinking, all I can do is fish for fish. And God's saying, no, I've still called you to lead, to step into somebody's story and be a part of their change story. And quit focusing on your inadequacies and your insecurities and instead focus on my calling that I put over your life. Listen to my voice as it's speaking to you. To lead, whether it be at home or in your marriage or where you work or where you go to school or with your friends or here at church, respond. Don't let how God made you be what holds you back. Don't let your position or authority or relational uh, equity be what holds you back. And by all means, don't let your sin hold you back. That's what this whole table right here represents and is for. A life well-led is a life that's willing to lead in spite of their insecurities because everybody has them. We join the things we close in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for not giving up on Peter or Esther or Moses or every other leader we read about in Scripture. For all the times we look to you, God, and say, God, I'm not qualified to do what you're calling me to do. I don't have the authority or the responsibility or the ability to do what you're calling me to do. Father, I'm not holy enough or righteous enough or pure enough. I don't know the Bible enough to do what you're calling me to do. Father, thank you for your patience to not give up on us in those moments. Thank you, Father, for your grace that will never disqualify us from serving you. May we listen to your voice over ours, to your truth over our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.